Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me. stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I will learn all These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder a liberation. You can murder revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. and welcome to this special bonus episode of Citizen Dame, where we will be talking about the excellent and fascinating film, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, because we are two white ladies. And, <laughs> and so we feel that we just really need to express our opinions on this. Um, yes, you all need to hear what a Karen has to say about this movie. <laughs> a literal Karen. A literal Karen is here to give her opinion um, on this movie about the Black Panthers. So, <laughs> so yes, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me as always is Karen Peterson. Hi, Karen. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> We really are very white. Like, I think that we just have to admit that. So white. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, so white. Um, So since this is a bonus episode, we're just going to get right into talking about the excitement um, that is Judas and the Black Messiah. So uh, this film just came out on HBO Max, what, last week? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, Friday. And... And it was initially supposed to be released in at the in the summer of 2020, and then of course pandemic happened, and it got pushed back, it got pushed around. I mean, I'm happy. I honestly thought that it was going to wind up doing one of those um, brief theatrical releases before it went to streaming, and mm-hmm. I was actually kind of happy to see it show up on HBO Max because I was like, oh, good, I actually get to watch this because I've been wanting <laughs> yeah. to see it. Um, so it is it is a fascinating film uh it stars uh daniel kalua and lakeith stamfield daniel kalua plays um fred hampton who's the chairman of the um uh, the illinois chapter of the black panther party in the late 1960s and uh lakeith stanfield plays william o'neill who's an fbi informant who kind of gets conned into becoming an fbi informant and reporting on the panthers and eventually directly leads to spoiler alert, the assassination of Fred Hampton. Um, But there's a lot of stuff that obviously that happens in between that. And I think that it's probably one of the, um, definitely one of the first films about the Black Panthers that I've seen that has really gone in depth into 
what the political philosophy was of the Black Panthers and of, of Hampton specifically. And this whole very shady shit that the FBI was involved in um, during the COINTEL PRO, which is the least helpful acronym um, <laughs> I think that anyone has ever come up with, but that which was this um, uh, kind of this intelligence program essentially that was meant to undercut it was meant to root out communists, supposedly, but it was meant to undercut um, groups like the Black Panthers, like Martin Luther King, uh, etc., in order to to kind of appease J. Edgar Hoover's terror of communism and terror of Black people. Uh, to this day, I pronounce it Cointelpro. It, it's really <laughs> tempting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really tempting to be like, it's the Cointelpro. What's no. Cointel? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, this this was a thing, like, if you read up on the behavior of the FBI in this period, uh, it makes you very ashamed to be an American and very ashamed to be a white person. Um, so a lot of what it was aiming at was basically subverting and undercutting things like the uh, Vietnam War, uh, anti-Vietnam War movement, the civil rights movement, Black Power movement, environmentalists, American Indian movement, basically everybody. Uh, including bizarrely enough the kkk so supposedly they were also going after them at the same time but we never really hear about that well yeah i mean it was basically everybody who didn't fall into the leave it to beaver you know yeah stereotype trope of this you know what the perfect you know american family is supposed to be and act like and do and and look like and and that was kind of anybody who was counter to that was kind of considered in some circles to be an enemy of the government and and or at least had the possibility of being an enemy of the government and someone that needed to be investigated and Mm -hmm. harassed and basically brought into the fold to act right well and i think that this film represents really well the um the the, I hesitate to say danger, but the danger that someone like Jagger Hoover would definitely think Fred Hampton and the Black Panthers were proving. Um, because the, the, the Panthers and Hampton in particular is, are not just, this is not just the Black Power movement, it's a communist movement, it's a socialist movement. It's you know referencing things like Lenin and Marx and um, Mao. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, Hampton is kind of preaching to this, this not just armed revolution, but also a, a very social movement, right? So, and the film covers very well, the activity that the Panthers engaged in, in just sort of, uh, you know, opening up free breakfast programs and educational programs in their neighborhoods. And so you're essentially, they're essentially stepping into spaces where the government has failed and is saying like, okay, we're going to educate our people. We're going to educate the people on the streets. The most interesting element um, that I found in terms of the activity of the Panthers in this period was this establishment of what uh, Hampton in the film refers to as a rainbow coalition of not just the Black Panthers, but also uh, another, the Crowns, it's an, uh, another, um, or not another, a, a gang, a local gang, uh, plus Latinx and white organizations that are all kind of coming together to being like, we're all being fucked, basically. We're all being fucked by the government. We're being fucked by J. Edgar Hoover. We're being fucked by this entire situation in Vietnam, et cetera. And 
that's that's something he's trying to bring together all of these groups and saying like we all have a similar goal in that we're the ones that are being hurt and we need to protect ourselves and possibly foment revolution. So I found that really interesting that the film actually really delved into that a little bit more. It wasn't just about Hampton and the Black Panthers. It was about the entire, what was going on in that period. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you needed, you needed to show that to really tell the complete story that they're trying to tell. And I mean, we can discuss really how complete this was even with all of that, um, that information, that backstory going into it. But, um, but yeah, I think that it was helpful because even, you know, for me, I feel like I've studied a lot about different groups, but even with the Black Panthers, like I haven't been that well-versed on really what their philosophies were and what their, what their central goals were besides equality besides freedom for their people and so learning so much more about what they were trying to do beyond that and also like you mentioned you know okay well if we're not going to get good education and good social programs through the government then we're going to do it ourselves in this in these other ways and I think it was really cool to actually see that and to see the collaborations the conversations the places where people who are more or less on the same side also still don't agree and sometimes would work together anyway and sometimes wouldn't and I think that that was really good that they they showed all of those facets because it really is a fascinating story and a fascinating part of history that I would gather or I would venture to say a lot of people don't know the full the full history of this time period yeah, or, or if we do, we have a fairly, um, definitely, and I, I'm saying this as a, as a white person, like I, I've looked at, you know, the the uh, uh, counterculture movement in the 1960s, I've always been really interested in that. The Black Panthers always seemed somewhat ancillary, and some of that was because a lot of the histories and a lot of the information I was reading was very white-centric, mm-hmm. and and it was being told by white historians, and and the, you know, so often the Panthers have been represented as just this violent gang almost. Yeah. Um, who were dangerous or people who were basically a fringe movement that didn't really mean anything. And that's not true in, in, at any level. One of the earliest mm, depictions that I can remember of the Black Panthers, and I'm sure I saw earlier depictions than this, but one of the ones that I remember clearly is the party that Forrest Gump goes to in Forrest Gump and that it's like yeah you see them in their their leather jackets and their berets and stuff and they look tough but then you have that guy who's just kind of pontificating and um I don't remember the scene as clearly as I do like I don't remember specifically who that was but um but it it gave the way that they were shown in that didn't give the impression to me that they were actually dangerous. Like it felt like they were trying to kind of say like, Oh no, they weren't dangerous people. They just talked tough. That was, that was one of the representations that I remember seeing. Yeah. There's a sense of, there's a humor almost that it's like, well, we don't really take them seriously and everything. Well, I mean, the FBI took them incredibly seriously, Mm -hmm. obviously as this film shows. And when you really listen to, uh, 
at least what Fred Hampton is saying in this film. And then if you actually watch some of his speeches or listen to some of his speeches, not on this film, you realize how incredibly radical um, these he was and the Black Panthers were and how that like and that was married to a lot of a, a lot of the other things that were going on in the 1960s and it's married to a lot of the things that are going on today which I think we're going to talk about in a little while yeah well I was even going to say like some of the stuff that they were espousing back then would even still be radical today too yeah and and a lot of it you know you, it's it's feeding into um, most most people including most radicals I don't think go quite as far as to valorize Mao right um, although <laughs> Mao, some of the things that Mao says and some of his perspectives, you, you might be like, okay, we, we can take that, right? But mm-hmm. not, not so much. Marx and, and Engels, definitely, yes, we can talk about Marx and Engels a little bit more. Um, but not so much Mao. Mao, a lot of bad shit went on. But that oh, was, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, if, if you watch a lot of films from that period, there was a lot of, of counterculture speech about how that was actually a direction that, that a number of people wanted to go. Not completely processing or maybe, or maybe they were processing it and just didn't care um, about how damaging Mao's you know, cultural revolution was ultimately going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but so let's uh, let's talk about since we're talking about Fred Hampton, let's talk about Daniel Kaluuya in this, uh, because like, what a spectacular actor! <laughs> I mean, he's incredible. He's, he's so good, and he gets the not just the passion of the speech, but the rhythm of it. And I thought it was so. I mean, I just found it so powerful the way that the character believes so strongly in what he's doing and believes not just in not really in himself and his importance but the fact that he has a he has a capability to help to lead other people mm-hmm. um and one of my favorite moments is that there's it's fairly late in the film where they're talking about you know can we get him out of the country right and they're all talking about different ways like oh we can funnel him we can send him to algeria or something like that to, to basically save him from having to go to prison and he stops and he says like, you know, why are we talking about me? This, I'm not important. What's important is the medical clinic we're gonna build. What's yeah. important is the people that we're gonna help. And, and in, in Kalua's performance, you definitely get that sense that he is do, in, in his mind, he is doing this for the people, right? And he believes in them and they're not just a thing to him. They're, they're not just an entity, they're real flesh and blood. Um, and that seems to be where he draws so much of his power from is that he really, he wants to help his people and his people is a very expansive idea of what his people is. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. That scene in particular is so powerful, but, um, and, and it really does, he's great in it, but it also really does do a good job of of showing that this wasn't just about him and that he knew that. And cause I think that so often, especially today um, we see leaders who really, they might say the right things, but they're really in it for themselves. And, um, and that's on all levels. That's not just political. That's, you know, like um, in certain churches or other political groups or you know other just movements and things you see people that kind of rise up and they 
they lead a certain way and they espouse some ideas, but then when it comes down to it, it's like, how much are they really practicing that? And how much is it really about what, you know, what the, what the accomplishment, what they're trying to accomplish and how much of it is just them trying to make a name for themselves. He very clearly was not that he very clearly was about this movement. That's why he was willing to go to prison even you know he was yeah. willing to lay down his life for this cause because he knew that he was fighting for something that really was important and that he believed that he was fighting to make a better world and um it's interesting to see that especially when you consider the fact and i know we'll talk about this in a minute but when you consider the fact that fred hampton was 21 years old yeah, and, and I think that, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Kalu and then I think that we should talk about that too because that's been yeah. one of the criticisms of this film. Um, yeah, there, there's, a, there's one of his speeches that he gives. He says, you know, you can kill a revolutionary, but you can't kill a revolution. Mm -hmm. um, you could kill a freedom fighter, but you cannot kill freedom. And that, you know, it's such an, in some ways it's such an easy turn of phrase, but at the same time, his, the way that he says it he believes it and because he believes it, he he helps his audience to believe it mm -hmm. um and and he plays that out throughout the entire film this is we are we are not doing this for me we are not doing this for you we're doing this for all of us yeah right and if that means that i die or that i go to prison because and and throughout the film he's got this this sense that he's like he's not going to survive mm -hmm. he practically knows that he's like they are going to kill me in some way yeah which um, is interesting i would love to know if that was just you know foreshadowing on yeah. the part of the filmmakers or if that was something that he really did have a sense of and that i'm not sure about but yeah i mean he really just had this this poetic way of speaking i had mm -hmm. to turn on the subtitles um because there were times where it was really hard for me to catch what he was saying and once i turned the subtitles on i was just like wow this is incredible this dialogue that he's getting out as quickly as he is and with this very particular speech pattern and everything it was actually pretty amazing um and i think something else too that's that's interesting about the way that kalia portrays him and and also just the way that the stories are written and the way that the character develops is um it's interesting how in the the first speech that you see him give where he's in that classroom like when like stanfield is there and mm -hmm. you know he's kind of captivating them and people are are mostly they're listening but they're not riveted and then when he gives that later speech toward the end and he's commanded the audience's attention and it's a full big room full of people that are just hanging on every word and i think it's so fascinating to see the way that progression happens and to see the way that he has um really just been able to to take take command um mm -hmm. and to come into his own and to really move people yeah and and that's that speech that i think we're both talking about uh, is after he's been in prison mm -hmm. so and there's there's definitely a shift in his character that happens and it's it's a subtle one it isn't like he doesn't come out a completely different person right um but there's definitely a shift in his character that has happened between him having gone to prison and then leaving and and beforehand like you say where he's he's dedicated but that urgency i guess isn't there yet i think that maybe some of it is is that 
within the the character he knows at some level that he is going to go back to prison Mm -hmm. that he's not going to be allowed to be here and and so there's an urgency that i have to get out what i need to say i have to get these people connected to each other you've been listening to an excerpt from our latest bonus episode of judas and the black messiah to unlock all kinds of bonus content please visit our patreon page patreon.com slash citizendame.